all-new Bearded CarCast. We are in the bubble on the Bearded CarCast. I am, I am sequestered in my office, uh, in my house. Dave, is, are you on the fourth floor office, Dave? Or where, where are you in your house? Where are you no, in your I'm bubble? in the, the third floor office. The third floor the third office. third floor office. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have the scenic fourth floor today. Well, it's a little overcast in Charlotte as we tape uh, episode four of the Bearded CarCast, and we're glad you're joining us here. Four and four, right? Season four, episode four. Who would have thought we would have gone this long, Dave? <laughs> Definitely not me. I had the under. <laughs> well, uh, if you're looking at unders, uh, how about Kansas City last night? What a, I mean, what a just a complete thorough domination of Baltimore. Good defensive team. Patrick Mahomes, um, you know, another virtuoso by him. And Eric Bieniemy. I thought the game plan that they put on the Ravens. Uh, I don't know if they could have could have done any better. And what's interesting is defensively, they have held their three opponents this year each to 20 points. And unlike some other teams in the league, I mean, if you look at the stats, I was trying to answer the question the other day, who is the best defensive team in the NFL? And it's really difficult to answer because essentially nobody emphasizes or plays good defense anymore. But far and away, the team that's given up the fewest points is the Colts, but they've played the Jaguars, Vikings, and Jets. Whereas Kansas City has actually played a, a, a fairly strong schedule playing against Houston, who's 0-3, but Houston's faced the three best teams in the AFC, arguably. And obviously Baltimore, who most people think is one of the best teams in all of football. And then the Chargers um, two weeks ago. It, it's kind of interesting because I know that everywhere that you turn on television or radio this week is going to talk about you know, are the Chiefs the next dynasty? Is Patrick Mahomes a first ballot Hall of Famer? All those sort of things. And to a degree, it's justified. I mean, they are just so fun to watch. And at their best, like we saw in the Super Bowl last year, you can hold them down for a while and eventually they explode and they're amazing. But this is the same team that was taken to the wire by the Chargers two weeks ago. So in, in one sense, they are terrific, and they're unbeaten, and they look like they're flying high, and they could go 16-0 and and all those things. But in the other sense, I mean, you watch the Panthers win in L.A. on Sunday. That Charger team doesn't look like they're anything special. Well, and when you look at Carolina, you know, they were kind of— they had flashes in the first two games. You know, they certainly could have beaten the Raiders. Um, they probably— could have played a little bit better against Tampa Bay and put themselves in a position late to, to try and tie that game and, and, you know, gave up a couple of big plays. So it's hard to gauge after three games in Las Vegas, right? I mean, Las Vegas, their first two games, uh, you know, a little shaky against Carolina looked better in their second game, uh, you know, with the upset win in uh, New Orleans. And then they kind of get blown out in New England. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of sort of inconsistency. I mean, and, and I think it's reasonable to say after the Chiefs go to Baltimore and dominate them, they're the best team in the league. I don't think I'm breaking any state secrets <laughs> by saying that. It's also three weeks in, yeah. and Andy Reid is one of the great regular season coaches in the history of the NFL. His postseason numbers, if you go prior to last year, are checkered at absolute very best. Now, they won the Super Bowl last year, and I don't think there's anyone that thinks, well, Andy Reid is just a great regular season coach. He's a great coach, period. He is in that class right now with Belichick and Sean Payton and John Harbaugh 
and Pete Carroll and um, um, th- th- those are those are the best coaches. It may- maybe Mike Tomlin's in there or something. Yeah, Mike but, Tomlin's got to th- be in that there's, list. There's kind of a clear five or six or seven guys wherever you want to put that line, and Andy Reid is very much in that. So you've got the best player in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes, and with all apologies to Russell Wilson, who is having a, a spectacular year, Mahomes is the guy that strikes the most fear in opponents. And you've got one of the best coaches, and, and you just have an offense that kind of looks like those Kurt Warner Rams teams. They, they've got the running back. They've got the wide receivers. They've got the tight end. They've got a good offensive line. You've got the quarterback who is both an unbelievable thrower and a more than capable runner. I mean, they look unstoppable and, and let me add this but, and let me add this let me add this because when you look at Kansas City you know especially last night I mean you knew Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid you know are going to craft a good offensive game plan but you know how about the tackle eligible play and and the, the you know the little pitch pass to the to the fullback I mean they're really getting everything out of that offense and it's it's going to have to make teams think and prepare even harder to, for all these different combinations one of the great crimes in the NFL is the way they hire their coaches in that you fire your coach after week 17 or sometime towards the end of the regular season, and then it's almost like a race to try to hire someone. So if you're on a staff that goes to the Super Bowl, the hiring process is done before you have an opportunity. I mean, Eric Bieniemy would be a better coach than, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 guys currently coaching and you know maybe I'm wrong about that maybe he's just had great luck in coaching really high-end players but the Giants hired somebody named Joe Judge <laughs> like what has he done right, and and right. like besides maybe being a Patriots assistant fault. yeah right but I mean like the Browns have a new coach every year <laughs> and Eric Bieniemy is out of this tree of Andy Reid yeah. that has bred one good coach after another. I, I mean, and again, Matt Rule might be phenomenal, and I love the staff he's built, and I like that they're they're trying something different, and they're a little short on talent this year, and it's great to see them pick up a win on Sunday. But Matt Rule's resume is vastly inferior to Eric Bieniemy's. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, I don't know that you can do this, Dave, but, you know, in the NBA, even in the NFL, you know, you have, you know, free agency where there's that dead period and then you can't talk to free agents. Uh, and I understand teams want to get a leg up uh, on the coaches, but I think the most fair thing to do um, is to allow that Super Bowl coach uh, assistant to be able to interview for the jobs he wants to. And I know that they've had, they've made some changes, but it's still, um, I, I still think there's that like um, wild West where, you know, Ron Rivera basically had a job after the season ended uh, with Washington. Um, you know, you no, know, that was the guy they wanted. And there was some cultural reasons why they brought Ron Rivera in. Cause they wanted to, they're trying to kind of fix things. And, and the Washington is a whole nother story. That's a whole nother podcast. I think what, 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 what's gone on there over the years, but um, I don't know. Do you think you think it's the system now is OK or do you think it should be a situation where teams, you know, should have like a two or three or maybe a month kind of dead period and then they can start interviewing coaches? Is that is that something that would make sense or is it is the system now just the it is what it is? Well, I think the system is 
partially broken. I mean, I think there is a better way to do it, but I don't think that's the systemic problem. The issue is owners that are trigger happy that need to have a coach. We fired this guy. Now we need to have a coach. Why don't you take a deep breath, go through the process, interview everyone and assess and make a well thought through decision. I mean, it, doesn't take a genius to understand that Eric Bieniemy is among the better candidates. So if that means it takes an extra two weeks to interview him and consider everything, and maybe you decide not to hire him, that's fine. But jumping to hire Joe Judge, who else was hiring him? Was there a, was there a huge a huge bidding war for Joe Judge? No one else wanted him. Well, the difference, though, you know, bringing up Matt Rule, I mean, there were teams that were interested in him, and I think the Giants were a team that had expressed some some interest in him. So, um, but yeah, Joe Judge, I mean, he's he's certainly somebody. I mean, look, I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a huge, uh, you know, in my private life, not my professional life, private life, though, you know, follow the Patriots. Uh, I mean, I knew who he was, but I didn't really know much more than that he was an assistant on the, you know, special teams guy. You know, I, got, I, I didn't yeah. really know much about, about his background. What about two years ago when the Jets were in such a rush to hire Adam Gaze? Did anybody else want Adam Gaze? I mean, it just – and now Adam Gaze is going to get fired, and he deserves to get fired. And I, I don't know, maybe Joe Judge will get a, a second or a third year. I mean, that team could certainly – improve over the course of the year they have a young quarterback their best offensive weapon is out for the year but there are a whole bunch of guys that are just walking dead I mean I I am shocked that Arthur Blank didn't make a change after this week the Falcons are a dumpster fire they're embarrassing I, I I don't I don't get it like they have enough talent to be competitive, and I know because they're competitive every single week, yet they're 0-3 again. They blow games more frequently and in more heartbreaking fashion than anyone else. If it happens once or twice, we all understand there's sports, there's a degree of randomness, but it can't keep happening over and over and over again with the same person in charge. And I understand the thought that like, well, if you fire him now, how does that benefit you? I would look the other way. How does it benefit you to keep that culture? How does it benefit you to not stand up and say, this isn't acceptable? A change needs to be made. I would also add this, Dave, and I think we talked actually talked about this on the postgame show after the Panthers game on Sunday uh, with Eugene Robinson. Sharon was with us. Brett was out doing uh, NASCAR stuff. But um at what point do you have to make that change just because in every single game you have a lead, right? A big lead. I mean, you've practically blown all of them. I mean, you know, I know last year they had some good games last year, but they're the first team in NFL history in a single season to lose two games in the fourth quarter when they've led by 15 points or more. Uh, and the point I'm trying to get to is at what point do you have to make a change because it's got to the, the thought in the back of the minds of every single player on that team is, oh, here we go again. You know, and how do you how do you stop that? You know, right. I, I don't know. I think it's early enough in the year, too, where a, a complete change in leadership. I mean, you see it in hockey and in baseball. Managers get fired and coaches get fired and teams go on to make the playoffs and make a run. If you think the Falcons have some talent, Maybe they just need to to shake it up a little bit. Yeah, maybe they need a new voice. And you know, sometimes it's it's hard going from that coordinator position to head coach. I mean, that's not to say he's not a good football coach. 
but maybe he's not, you know, maybe the head coaching just isn't his thing. Or maybe he needs, like a Bill Belichick, like maybe he needs to, you know, leave, you know, kind of evaluate what's gone on, make some adjustments, and then if he gets hired again, I mean, that, that I don't know. I mean, I don't know that many people would hire Dan Quinn right now um, if he were to get fired. I think he'd probably have to go back to the coordinator route and, you know, work his way back up. Um, because that's a, that's a stigma, man. Like if you keep blowing, you know, that's cause that's coaching, right? I mean, if you blow leads, you know, isn't the old axiom in college basketball, you know, if you lose a bunch of games by, you know, under, you know, was it like four points, five points, you know, that, that tends to be a sign of coaching. Yeah. I mean, you're close enough that you're leading, you're ahead and you find a way to lose that. That's a bad sign for all involved. Now, last week on the bearded Cartcast, we discussed who we thought the best teams in the NFC were. And we agreed that New Orleans, we thought they were the best team in the NFC. Well, there are three unbeaten teams in the NFC, Seattle, Green Bay, and Chicago. And Green Bay beat New Orleans on Sunday, probably more convincingly than I certainly thought was likely or maybe even possible. And now Green Bay is 3-0, and and the, the Saints, who we, I don't know that we passionately argued they were the best team, but I think we very strongly felt were among the best teams, they're 1-2. and two. Well, and I think, if I can remember that far back last week, <laughs> you know, I think we felt like the Raiders game maybe was a little bit of a blip, right? Um, now, the yep. Packers are a good team. They're 3-0. and um, but I think what's confounding if you're a Saints fan is, is losing to that Raiders team uh, after a good opening win against the, the Buccaneers. I still think they have the talent and the coaching to, to turn it around and, and be a force. Um, you know, especially, you know, I mean, I still think they're the best team in the NFC South, you know, um, Tampa Bay, it seems like, you know, they've kind of gotten their, um, wind beneath their wings a little bit. Um, you know, Carolina, I still still think is they're still still a young team and still too many unknowns. You know, they 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 had to play as well as they did on Sunday to get that win against the Chargers. But I mean, they were one for six. They were seventeen percent in the red zone. Like you're not going to win. You're not going to win a lot of uh, games in the NFL when you're kicking field goals when you should be scoring touchdowns. Um, so, but I mean, but to this point, that is the best game that they had put together. It was their best defensive effort. Um, you know, I mean, Atlanta doesn't scare me. I mean, right now you'd have to say it's between Tampa Bay and the Saints. I would still give the edge to the Saints. Um, but, you know, remember, I mean, we talked about this week one. You know, you know, we thought the Saints, you know, we thought the NFC South was going to be, you know, a brutal division. It still may prove to be that, but it, it doesn't seem to be the juggernaut that everybody thought it was going into the year. If the NFC West does not get all four teams in the playoffs and you then take three teams out of that division you take three other division winners there still has to be another playoff team that means the chicago bears or the tampa bay bucks probably have to make the playoffs and i don't know that i think those are really quote unquote playoff caliber teams. I mean, let's put it this way. The NFC East is embarrassing. The Giants are atrocious. Nobody has a winning Washington... record. <laughs> no, 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 not only does nobody have a winning record, 
they have two total wins, and one came when two teams faced each other, <laughs> when Washington beat Philadelphia. Yeah. So they have one win outside yeah. of the division, and that win was Dallas's miraculous comeback at Atlanta when the Falcons couldn't cover an onside kick. Yeah. That's the only win the entire division has. That division is horrible. The NFC West looks to be very good. It's hard to think the Panthers or Falcons are a playoff caliber team. I do believe the Saints are going to make the playoffs. I am very, very ho-hum on a Tampa Bay team who's played one good team, the Saints and lost, and two bad teams, the Panthers and Broncos, and one. But that being said, that's clearly the second worst division in the NFC, not the first worst. And that leads to the NFC North, where my wife is from Minneapolis. I have watched all three Viking games. They are as bad a team as the league has, and nobody understands it. Their defense is horrible. I mean, not bad, embarrassingly bad. Only the Falcons in the NFC have given up more points than Minnesota's defense. And if you think their defense is bad, their offense is so unoriginal, unexciting, uninspiring. I I don't understand how Mike Zimmer is going to have a job after the bye. They're 0-3. And their upcoming schedule is Houston, Seattle, Atlanta, Green Bay. I I, I just don't see it. I mean, they're going to be one and five going into the bye week. I, I, I don't know how Mike Zimmer is going to survive that. Their team got old and they just look totally and utterly out of sorts. Everyone knows the Giants are bad. They're an easy target. Everyone knows the Jets are bad. There are people that think Minnesota is good or pretty good. Go watch the tape. They are horrible, embarrassing, really, really bad. And he was Mike Zimmer was one of those guys when he got elevated to the head coaching job that they thought he was going to be kind of the next whiz you know whiz kid or whiz not I mean not a kid but you know I mean they thought he was going to be one of the next you know great head coaches. There is a report out this morning that the Tennessee Titans have a COVID problem, and the Titans played the Vikings on Sunday, so now the Titans and Vikings are having to shut things down. That report came out about uh, a day and a half too late for the Vikings. They needed that report to come out Sunday morning. And they need their game against Houston to get canceled this week and maybe the foreseeable future. I mean, it's going to be a long, long year in the Twin Cities. What do you make of the COVID situation? Um, I'd say I'm pleasantly surprised that it's gone, you know, we're almost into week four, and this is really the first issue that we've seen. Um, I mean, I know there, there were some, um, you know, some teams had some positives early on in the training camp, but it was early enough that it, it wasn't that much of a uh, distraction, if you will, or disruption. Um, but, you know, if you have two teams now, you know, uh, it, it's interesting. I, I will say this. I don't know much. I mean, you don't know where the players go when they're not in the team facility. But I can tell you just based on the protocols that I've had to go through to get into Bank of America Stadium um, for the Panther uh, postgame shows, uh, you know, I mean, it's 
I mean, they have to, they do everything they can to keep the, the players and the coaches separate in the building from anybody else. Uh, and on game day, I, I, I think we briefly talked about this, um, you know, the, the Panthers press box situation is you have the broadcast booths that are kind of self-contained in their own little uh, entrances. And then immediately next to that is the main press box. And in the middle, um, almost toward the middle of the um, the broadcast booths, is a, a hallway, uh, the bathroom's on one side, and then behind it is the elevators. And basically what they did is they shut off where the coaches' boxes are, um, which was, I think, suites 6 through 10, uh, 10 being the uh, the TV booth, and then next to that is the main press box, right? So they shut that off so that uh, they put a barrier next to the entrance to the TV booth. So you basically couldn't go down the hallway to, to the like the, where the Panthers studio is all the way down on the left-hand side. You had to go all the way around on the outside, like on the suite level side, and come in the back side for the broadcast booths. The coaches um, had access to that little walkway to where the restrooms are and the elevator. So, I mean, they were doing everything they can to make sure, uh, you know, players and, and staff are sequestered from people on the outside world. So I, I think for the most part, those protocols have gone well. Th- to me, Dave, this kind of mirrors a little bit baseball, you know, because baseball didn't really do a bubble until the playoffs, um, and we, we, we saw so many cancellations. Now, a three-game series, you know, you know, for instance, like if someone gets infected on a Friday and they don't test positive for COVID two days later, they could be in another city, you know. So yep. this is, I think, you know, football probably lends itself better. Uh, to this, but I mean, look what ha- look at what's happened in college football. I mean, the Charlotte 49ers, uh, the local team here, uh, they, they've kept, what had like two or three games canceled. Um, There's a rumor that the 49ers have a football team. <laughs> they played one game right against uh, App State, um, yeah. and and they lost a whole position group. Like they couldn't yep. play a game because uh, con- contact tracing had kind of placed a couple of the players with. Not that they had COVID, but in the vicinity of people. And then so the whole offensive line couldn't play. Yep. I think there's a pretty easy fix. Pro Football Talk reported this morning the Titans have a week seven bye while the Steelers play the Ravens in week seven. The Steelers and Ravens both have a week eight bye. So the NFL can move Steelers-Titans to week seven, Steelers-Ravens to week eight, and that could fix what would need to be a made-up game. But in baseball, you have the opportunity to play double headers, and you have off days. Yes, this one situation, and I don't think the Titans are going to play this week. I think the Titans are going to have the week off because I think they're going to be abundantly careful knowing that there's a pretty easy fix. But if you get in a situation where a game has to be canceled, in the NFL, and, and you can't make it up because it's late in the year and buys have already taken place or buys don't match up, in only a 16-game season, how are you going to kind of figure everything out? I mean, are we going to have teams playing odd numbers of games? In baseball, that wasn't a problem. In football, it could be. Well, and I think uh, the baseball scenario, correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm mis understanding it, but I think the baseball off balance, if, if there was going to be an imbalance of games, uh, baseball was just going to go down to winning percentage. 
Um, so that's probably but while that is true. And I, no, I, I know what were, you're saying. Like I, I know that there's well, and, and baseball did everything they could to make up the games. Yeah. I could be wrong about this, but the only team kind of on the playoff bubble that didn't get to the 60 games was St. Louis. And if they needed to play a doubleheader in Detroit on Monday, they would have had that to make it up. In the NFL, you can't get through week 17 and say, oh, geez, we need to make up this game. Let's play it on Wednesday and then start the playoffs on Sunday. It right. doesn't work that right. way. Now, what they, but you know what they probably could do? Not that it would be an ideal solution, but you know, maybe they, everybody gets a buy essentially, except for the teams that need to play their way in. Yeah, it's well. Yeah, I mean that that would be a, a major change, but it's certainly not out of the realm of possibilities. This is the Beard Carcast with Mike Pacheco. I'm Dave Friedman. Thanks for joining us. You can listen on iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher. We would love if you would send us some feedback. Beardedcarcast at Outlook.com. Beardedcarcast at Outlook.com. Very, very busy week of sports. We're going to get to the baseball playoffs in a moment. Mike's picks are red hot. 3-0 and against the spread thus far. For someone that doesn't pay a ton of attention to spreads, you were good last year and even better starting this year and an interesting game obviously for the Patriots this week they are at Kansas City the Patriots are getting a touchdown how do you feel about the game in general well I think this game is going to be very entertaining right you have Patrick Mahomes on one side Cam Newton on the other side you have two great coaches going against each other you know New England looks like they've uh They've maybe righted their ship a little bit. Um, you know, you got two mad scientists going against each other. It's just going to be a great chess match. Uh, these games have been fairly close. I think uh, there was only, it's only been one kind of lopsided score, I think, in the last five or six times that they've played each other. So uh, I'm going to, I am going to go, um, I'm going to go New England here. So I'll take the points. Uh, I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's either going to be a push or, Patriots are going to uh, win the spread against the spread. Do you think the Pat- what do you think the Patriots' opportunity to win the game is? I think you know what I, I think Cam Newton makes it hard for teams to um, to adjust against, and I think uh, I, I think he's going to be he's got to play well. You know, he didn't play necessarily great in the game last week against the Raiders. Uh, you know, I think in the second half he essentially you know was basically handing the ball off, but I think. You know he's getting more and more comfortable. Um, he's getting the the uh, what's the word the chemistry. I think with his receivers is getting better, and we know there's that chemistry with Julian Edelman. Um, you know he's really brought out Henry a lot. You know Henry and Tom Brady didn't really mesh last year, um, so I think the offensive weapons are getting better. The the, the look the trick is going to be in this game. It, this is you know, cliche 101, it's going to be, if the Patriots can could do anything on the offense or excuse me, on the defensive line to contain Patrick Mahomes, um, that's, that's their shot. I mean, we know they have a good secondary, but this is a type of game where the, the, the secondary and the defensive front are going to have to work in concert. You know, it, you can't, if they just rely on, you know, if, if it gets into a broken play situation, 
it, it that could that could be that could be dicey for for New England because you you can't give Patrick Mahomes that much time. It's like facing Russell Wilson, um, and I think that's probably a, a better comparison. And that game was close. I mean, that was you know the Patriots had a chance to win that game in Seattle. So I, I think it's probably going to be kind of a similar game plan uh, that they're going to put against the Seahawks and the, the, that they will do against the Chiefs. It's really important to remember how early it is in the season. I was talking last night to a friend who's a diehard Ravens fan, and he's like, you know, it's disappointing, but it's week three, and we lost to these guys early in the season last year and still were the number one overall seed. So, I mean, I think we'll learn a little bit about where the Patriots stack up, but it's where the Patriots stack up in early October, not where they stack up at the end of December and in January when it counts. It'll certainly be a very fun game to watch. My pick of the week is the Houston Texans. They're 0-3, but they've played a monster schedule against Pittsburgh, Kansas City, and Baltimore. They play at home against a Minnesota team that just looks totally out of sorts. So I will lay the three and a half with Houston this week. I'm one and two thus far. Before we get to the baseball playoffs, which begin today, and I know you and I are both excited about watching. Did you watch last night? Monday night football was on, but at the same time was game six of the Stanley Cup finals. Did you flip over? Did you have a second TV watching? Did you totally forget the game was being played? Um, no, I will say this. We we had it on. Uh, we were watching a little bit. Then we flipped over to the NFL, and uh, we never went back. Uh, I, I was yep. just so enjoy That NFL game was so – I kind of did forget – not to forget about it, but I guess I kind of did. I, I mean, I was just so enthralled with the uh, with the, with the with the Monday night game. And that was a great matchup on Monday night. Yep. Um, oh, one of the best they've had I mean, in that was, a long, long time. You know what's funny? This is interesting because – and you know John pays attention and he likes to um, – you know, he, you know, like our buddy Jason Benetti loves Benetti. And he likes to kind of – he's one of those kids that like he pays attention to who the call who's calling the game, right? So, you know, obviously Steve Levy, new crew – with uh, Lewis Riddick and and Brian Greasy, and uh, we're watching the game, and he said, "Dad, he's like, you know, Tess didn't really get a lot of good games last year. Do you think that like maybe affected the fact that like he's not back this year because he like he didn't have an opportunity to call good games?" I said, "That's an interesting point. I mean, I I don't think that was it, but you know, it it did seem like the Monday night matchups were weren't as great last year, uh, and that's just a random draw. That's not. Yeah. I mean, you can't." It's not crazy at all. I mean, you know, this is the classic. When we got hired at Winthrop, they had the best year in school history. So if you don't like people providing good news to you, maybe you would really hate us. But, man, did we sound good when we <laughs> went 29 and 5. Yeah, yeah, we sounded I mean, great, didn't we? <laughs> if you show up and, you, and the, the team is bad – There are a lot more angry people, and guess what? They're going to be angry at everything, the coach and the players and the broadcasters too. I mean, I I tell you what, you you and I have a mutual friend who – you're closer to than I am, but became the voice of the Patriots probably eight, ten years ago. I I bet that fan base really likes him because he's done a whole lot of winning. Yeah, Bob Bob Sosi's done a whole lot of winning. And and he took over for a guy – I think it's one of those situations where – you know, you're kind of nervous from, a, I mean, not quite Vin Scully, but Gil Santos was in that region. pretty well revered. I mean, he had no a great reputation. Um, everybody enjoyed him. And Bob held his own. You know, Bob's done a good job. He's, he's created a, a pretty good following. 
Um, Bob it, is Bob, though. He didn't try to be Gil Santos. No, that's he true. doesn't have the voice. Right. He doesn't have the history. He just went in with the right approach to try to do the job to the best of his ability. Well, and the reason why you and I like Bob, too, even behind the scenes, is, I mean, that guy works his butt off. Yep. Like, he's very well prepared, and it, and it shows in his broadcast. Like, he knows, you know, I mean, he obviously, you know, doing all those games at Navy for so many years, uh, you know, obviously had good chops and a good, good foundation, but... Um, the one thing that impresses me about him, and I, and I think this, because I've seen this in our industry, maybe more so on the talk show side of things, um, but you know there comes a point where you feel like you make it, and I think some people get this idea that they can kind of let their guard down because like, well, I've I've worked so hard to get here, uh, but I think once you get a big league job, like you you don't work less. I mean, you got to work harder, um, and yep. and I think Bob Bob has done that. Yeah, well, I, I think he does a really good job. But 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 the point is, if you're the voice of the Browns and you've taken over and you've been there for six years and the team is terrible for six years, there could be some grumbling that's not legitimate. Oh, and sure, if you sure. take over and you get to follow Greg Marshall around and you go to the NCAA tournament a few times, all of a sudden people like you and maybe they actually like you, but they might like you because you're always providing very positive, strong information that they want to hear. That's just, you know, that's fair. It's kind of human nature. What about the NBA finals? Uh, they begin on Wednesday night. The NBA very, very uh, intelligently staying away from Tonight's presidential debate, which is going to have, I, I believe, NFL playoff type ratings. I think it's going to be incredibly well, yeah. well watched. Um, the NBA finals will get very good ratings also. I mean, it's a terrific matchup for the network. Anytime you have television market number one or two involved and you've got L.A. and you've got LeBron and you kind of have this this Miami team that has been surprising, but they play as a cohesive unit and they, they defend and they're well coached. But to a degree, it kind of feels like Denver in the last round to me. They, they had all those things too. They were well coached and they had fun players to watch and they played like a team and it wasn't really, I, well, I don't know. Maybe if Anthony Davis doesn't hit the shot in game two, it's a completely different series because Denver won game three and we're down two one. maybe it goes in a different direction, but I mean, the Lakers are a substantial favorite and I think deservedly. So even though I continue to think they're sort of a flawed team, but I mean, you, you can only play who they put in front of you and they have swallowed up everyone they've played. Well, we have, so just, and people also know that, uh, Long-time listeners to the Bearded Carcast know that obviously I grew up in Massachusetts, so I, yeah, you know, and you know, was born into Red Sox, Celtics, Bruins, Patriots. It's it's just you know, it's in it's in our. Blood. You have to really listen carefully to get that out of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You don't let it out very <laughs> I often. No, I don't. I don't wear it on my sleeve at all. Um. So now we took the loss to the Heat uh, in stride, and one thing about watching as many basketball games as as I have like as 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 a pro like working games um and both men's and women's because I think you know fundamentally there's a lot of similarities between the two obviously the men's game is is different um women's game about I don't know 10 years ago 11 years ago I I think started the trend of shooting a lot of threes um and so uh, you know, you see teams that are pretty balanced, pretty good teams, and you throw a zone against them, and it's like these guys forget 
they forget the years of, of basketball training. You know, with four minutes to go in that game, the Celtics are jacking up threes. And I'm sitting there going, their success all year has been moving the ball, even against the zone. Moving the ball, pass up a, you know, pass up. How many times have you heard this, right? Pass up a good shot for a better shot. And instead, it's like, okay, we're down six. We got to start jacking threes with four minutes to go. I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, so, I, but having said that, I have a healthy respect for the Heat. Um, and I, John and I, we're talking about my son. We were talking about this throughout the series. I said, because there are a couple of guys on that team, you know, like Dragic, he, he'd be a classic Celtic. I mean, people hate him. Um, but if he was on, if he was a Celtic, I'd love the guy. I mean, he just, he plays hard, makes big shots. Uh, you know, we saw Tyler Hero a couple of years ago, uh, for Kentucky, um, you know, against Winthrop, um, you know, he's emerged, you know, what a great story Duncan Robinson is, you know, from, um, Williams, right. He was at Williams and then did a, his, 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 um, graduate year at, at Michigan. He's from Maine. He's from York, Maine. How many guys from York, Maine make it to the NBA? I got to have a couple friends from York, Maine. Oh, nice. I have a friend who has a, a place in New York, Maine. Her her family yeah. has a house in New York, Maine. Great, great place. Very, very good lobster. Oh, in delicious. New York, seafood. Maine, and very inexpensive. You know, it's too bad. You know, we need to talk to, to Kels about, uh, you know, playing UNH or the University of Maine because we, we get some good seafood on the East Coast. But anyway, we digress. It's not really close to Orono. Not re- well, no, but if, if you played UNH and... Oh, you'd make the trip. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. If you played yeah. UMA- or if you did BC, actually, the trip would be get a guaranteed game with BC and then play like Maine or New Hampshire. And then we could then we yep. could sneak in a trip to York Beach, Maine. But like, a- um, you know, and, and you know, to me, the, the guy that really um, won that series, and and I'm not taking anything away from from Jimmy Butler or any other guys, but I thought Bam Adebayo, especially in the clincher. Um, the Celtics had problems with him. I mean, how many times did Tice fall out for the Celtics? Um, they just couldn't. They just couldn't guard him. Uh, now I know it's gonna be different. You know, this is a game of matchups, right? So you know, the, the you know the Lakers are gonna match up differently with the Heat than the Celtics did. And you know, I, I think um, you know how do you how do you vote how do you bet against LeBron? I mean, I know he's lost some some finals, but. You know, I mean, you take Cleveland to the finals, Miami to the finals. Now you take the Lakers to the finals, um, and he's still. I mean, he's is he the player he was three, four years ago? Nobody's still still pretty impactful. You got Anthony Davis. You, you have an older, more maybe more wiser uh, Rajon Rondo. Um, so, I I agree with you. I mean, I think probably Lakers in seven, um, but uh, because you know we are Celtics fans, John and I. Um, we have some friends on John's baseball team that are Heat fans, and of course they were giving us some grief. We had practiced last night, and uh, and so they were happy to hear that we were rooting for um, we were rooting for the Heat in the finals. John and I, although John isn't so much rooting for the Heat to win as he is for the Lakers to lose. Well, I'm with John. I always root for the Lakers to lose. I grew up a Warrior yeah. fan. The Warriors were horrible for 35 years, and the Lakers just won and won and won and won and rubbed it in the Warriors' face. And I always cheer against the the uh, Lakers. And it makes me very, very happy that Andre Iguodala is in the yeah. NBA Finals, yeah. one of the all-time good guys who won a MVP of the NBA Finals for his job guarding LeBron James. And yes, Andre Iguodala is several years past his prime. And while you say that 
LeBron isn't what he was a few years ago. This is not a Tom Brady or Drew Brees situation. No, 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 he's no, still, no. He's still good. He's yeah. still pretty yeah. darn good. But but I will smile on the occasion that Iggy shuts him down for you know, a possession here or a possession there. I do not think it's a seven-game series. I think it's much closer to a five-game series. But I love the way the Heat have played, and I think they're really creative, and I think they play like a team, and I'll certainly be rooting for them. I'm not overly optimistic because I'm not sure the Heat are significantly better than the teams that the Lakers have already beaten. But you and I have no passion for the Lakers and no passion for the Heat. But we do have some passion for baseball. I know your beloved Red Sox, uh, they might as well have had COVID and sat out the season <laughs> this year. But as you mentioned on last week's podcast, there are a couple of teams you're interested in. One being the White Sox, who are parent club of the Charlotte Knights, who you work for. And the White Sox are in the playoffs for the first time in a long time. And they're playing my A's, who I have been a fan of for a very long time. And there is something to me very redeeming and enjoyable about this series. And it is that these teams have a lot of homegrown guys. And I know that Lucas Giolito, who will start for the White Sox in Game 1 today came over in a trade, but I consider him a White Sox. He made his major league debut, or or maybe he made a, a, a handful of starts but what, before he got traded, but he I identify him as a White Sox. He spent time in the White Sox minor league system. He got called up. He's a guy that you know, and there are a lot of those guys. Even if they came to the organization via trade, they are guys that you identify with the White Sox. I think you hit the nail on the head, and when you were you when you were winding this up, I was thinking what I like about this series, uh, particularly for us talking about it, is that we both have, um, you know, it, it, this is both personal for both of us. Um, you you straddle both, although predominant, obviously way more on the A side of things. But you know, you've seen Lucas Giolito and and uh, you know Aloy Jimenez. Uh, some of the guys that came, Yoan Moncada. You, you saw a bunch of Yoan Moncada games, um, and for me. It's been fun because, I mean, up and down that lineup um, for the White Sox, a bunch of guys, uh, both pitchers and position players. And not only, I'll say this, and this is not a slight to the White Sox, uh, but, you know, this is the first time you mentioned it. They haven't been in the playoffs in a long time. 2008 was the last time they were in the playoffs. Um, and, they, of course, they won the series in 05. But the blend of elite talent on both the pitching side and the hitting side, or the position side, has been – what's been enjoyable about watching this team the last three years, you know, and to see, uh, you know, even though Luis Robert didn't have a great, um, great batting average this year, um, you know, he still, I think was second, third on the team in home runs can, you know, run like the wind out there in, in the outfield. I mean, he's, he's not going to hurt you defensively. Now he's going to strike out a lot, but he struck out a lot in the minor league. So that's not, that's not really a surprise. Um, now, and, and, and Luis Robert, if you're a White Sox fan listening to this, is the entire A's lineup. I mean, the A's <laughs> yeah, hit home runs. Yeah, they do not hit right. for average. They strike out a lot. I mean, the teams actually have a lot of similarities. I mean, they, they, they have a bunch of homegrown guys. They're not like necessarily huge names. I guess the biggest name in the series would be Jose Abreu. Yeah. I think he's probably the biggest star yeah. for either team. 
I mean, today, it's Lucas Giolito and Jesus Lazardo, who, if you're a, a baseball person, you've known the names for a while. They were both mm-hmm. elite prospects. They both got traded. But they're not, you know, they're not Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. They're not, they're not those huge established names yet. And the teams sort of play in a similar manner. One of the things that I'm most interested in in this series is the White Sox against left-handed pitching. They're 14-0 and against left-handed starters this year. Now, they have not faced the elite southpaws in the game, but two of the three A's best starters are Lazardo and Sean Manaya, yeah. both left-handers. And I thought it was fascinating to see how Bob Melvin and Billy Bean and David Forrest put their rotation together. And it seems as though they've kind of said, we see that number, but from a batting average standpoint, the White Sox are actually better against righties than lefties. Now they hit for more power against Southpaws, but uh, the A's have kind of said, yes, we could start Mike Fires, and and if, if Lizardo gets bombed in Game One, and Chris Bassett, the former White Sox, pitches really well in Game Two, maybe Mike Fires gets the start in Game Three over Manaya. But they are going lefty to start, and in in an analytics revolution in baseball. It is a little surprising that they're not going to throw strictly right-handers. Well, and also when you look at the bullpen, now the, you're right. The White Sox are going to have the the better batting average. You know, I mean, they have a, a bunch of guys hitting over 240, and I think the highest hitter on the the uh, the, um, the A's is it Kemp? Like at 247, I think he's the, the guy leading the, the. And he's a part-time player, right? I mean, the, the, well, the well A's Estella do has the, the highest batting much. average, but he's he's kind of been in and out of the lineup too. Well, he spent he spent half the year with the Angels. I mean, he just came over yeah. at the at the trade deadline. Yeah. He he though he is much more of an old school player because he walks a ton and sees a ton of pitches and gets on base. He's he's not the typical A. I mean. You look at Laureano's numbers or uh, Olsen's numbers. These are without Matt Chapman, their best hitter, who's also a platinum glover at third base. I mean, that is a a huge huge problem. I assume the A's are going to lose since they've lost 12 of their last 13 series in the playoffs. I mean, you mentioned the White Sox haven't been in the playoffs in a long time. The A's are in the playoffs all the time, which is a miracle based on the horrible stadium they play in and their financial issues. But they're in the playoffs all the time. They just never get anywhere in the playoffs. I mean, they basically always lose, which is, I mean, as an A's fan, I don't know how you can expect anything other than that. That being said, I was interested at the end of the regular season. I wanted the A's to lose games down the stretch so they could face the below 500 Astros who have no business even being in the playoffs. (laughs) They didn't lose enough games. I thought that meant they were going to get the Indians. I wasn't excited at all about facing off against the Cy Young Award winner in Game 1, and they got the White Sox, and I kind of feel like that's somewhere in between. I'd rather face the Astros than the White Sox, but I'd rather face the White Sox than the Indians. I mean, let's be honest. The White Sox did not play great down the stretch. No, they had that stretch where they win like two of the last 10 games, um, and then they finished up with the Cubs. So um, I think that's an area of concern. I think the other... Piece, well, I mean, obviously, I think for the White Sox, Abreu's got to have a big series. You know, your star's got to come out and shine. You know, Tim Anderson, he's got to play well. Um, Aloy Jimenez has a, a foot sprain, so he's maybe iffy to start the series. They're hoping that maybe he can go. Um, but, you know, I think the bullpen is going to be I, – I, and both both teams have pretty good bullpens. Uh, I think that's going to be uh, kind of a key for me is to see – you know, I mean, they just brought up 
uh, Garrett Crochet, who's a first-round pick this year out of Tennessee. Uh, and this dude, uh, no, he's only played six games, hasn't given up an earned run. Um, but, I mean, this guy throws 100 miles an hour. He throws gas. So yeah, it, he's, he's what Lazardo was for the A's last year. He came up late in the year. He made a major impact, and they're going to have absolutely no hesitation putting him into the fire in a meaningful game because you put your best players yeah. out there when it counts. To me, it's really simple for the A's. If they score four or five runs, they're going to win. Yeah. Their, their bullpen has been the best in baseball this year. They're very, very, very confident in not just one or two guys. If it gets to Liam Hendricks, they think the game's over. Sure. But they're really confident in their setup guys and their middle guys, too. But they go in stretches where they do not score. And that's been the problem in the playoffs the last several years. You face better pitchers in the playoffs. The A's scored two runs in the wild card game two years ago, one last year, and they were sent packing. If Giolito goes out and gives up two runs over seven innings, the A's very well may lose 3-2 or 4-2. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, Tampa Bay, I think, is a team that I'm, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, their AAA players over the years, so that, that's a team that I wouldn't say I have a rooting interest in, but you certainly like to enjoy, uh, see their success. Um, this is kind of like the Lakers' heat for me. I mean, I don't love the Indians, but I obviously don't like the Yankees more, so I'm kind of hoping I'm the Indians... You. Uh, you know, can pull that one out. I mean, the Twins should beat the Astros, you know. And then on the other side, I mean, the Dodgers, you know, I mean, they're probably the prohibitive favorites, right? I mean... Uh, How could they not be? Right, yeah. I mean, if you look at the Dodgers pitching, it is a ridiculous... I mean, I'm not joking about this. I'm not exaggerating. I think if you took the Dodgers' five starters, took them away, and then told another team... You can draft their next five starters out of the the you know major league team and the alternative site yeah. guys. I think you'd have one of the I don't know ten fifteen best rotations in baseball. They have so, so much, much depth on yeah. the mound. Their their bullpen has been shoddy in previous years. It's a little bit better this year. I don't think it matters. You just put all of those those starters that aren't starting yeah. in the bullpen and, and they'll take care of things. I mean, I understand they don't have, you know, you would take the field over the Dodgers because they're all these different rounds of the playoffs now. And a lot of things can happen, particularly in a three game series right off the bat. But if you looked at like a, a, a pie chart of their chances to win, they would have the largest chunk by a huge margin. Maybe they're 35% or 40% to win the World Series, but no one else is more than maybe 10%. I mean, they, they are so much better. I think you can argue they have the best pitching and the best offense. I mean, th that's how good they are. That, that That's probably wrong. There are probably a couple of teams, the Yankees, that have more hitting or at least more hitting that scares you, but the Dodgers are absolutely loaded in the American League any of the eight teams or, or maybe any of the six teams I don't really think Toronto and Houston are going to go to the World Series but the other six teams are all very very viable if the Dodgers aren't in the World Series it's an upset that doesn't mean it's it's impossible there, yeah. there's a strong chance of it but they're they are better they well, are better. and you know, and you know they have five guys with 10 or more home runs you know Mookie Betts has been a great addition to that team um, you know, playing out in right field. And, you know, he's got, I think, 16 home runs. He and Pollock have 16 home runs each. Corey Seager's right right next there with uh, with 15. And, yeah, I mean, uh, balance-wise, yeah, you're right. Up and down lineup uh, on both sides, pitching and on the position side, they're 
they're loaded. I will say this, um, as I have thought more, because I know it's taken me a while to get to this point, thinking about the postseason. But I have to say, I do like the idea of the first round being a best of three. I like that rather than just like a play-in game or like what what they've done in the past. I like it. And I think the three-game series is interesting. Um, you know, the better teams should win two out of three, right? Um, but it could, you know, it, it can lend itself to crazy, funky matchups. But what I like about it, Dave, is that, you know, y- if you're going to add the teams that you're adding, you have to do something where teams aren't sitting for three or four days. So I think this the three-game series – if if you win, um, you know if you go to three and you win, you know you can still kind of set up your pitching for the next round a little bit, especially if you win your first two. Right, but if if you're an American League team that you win Tuesday and Wednesday, and the next playoffs will start, I think the following Monday, if I have that correct. I mean, then you're sitting a bunch of days, right? Yeah. Yes, I mean, I guess though, I guess only one more though than your opponent because the furthest anyone else could go is Thursday. So both teams would be in kind of the same boat. Yeah, that's right. There is that uh, – f- there's like four days in between um, the first the, – the wild card series and the ALDS. But it, it's I – mean, You're just never going to be able to simulate an 162-game season in the playoffs, and the best of sevens probably do the, the best job of that. But, I mean – it, but I think it's issue, more. I was gonna say I think it's more fair though because both teams will have a couple days to sit, so it's not like, you know, what I mean, it's not yeah, like I mean, one team is sitting for a week and the other team's been playing. The my issue with the playoffs, and we've talked about this before, so we don't need to dive into it really hardcore. But the Astros went twenty nine and thirty one. Yeah. A, they're in the playoffs, which they shouldn't be. B, they. Um, aren't even the seven or eight seed. They're the six seed. And C, they have no, I mean, I guess there's a slight disadvantage because they're playing on the road, but there are no fans. I mean, this is why in college basketball for conference tournaments, I like double buys. I think you have to make the regular season meaningful or you get to host the postseason if you win the regular season championship. I mean, if you're the Rays, you just had a terrific season. And what did you get out of it? You get to play a, a mediocre Toronto team. That's good, but then you're going into a bubble and you're in the same spot as everyone else. To me, and I'm biased as heck on this, but you know, maybe the top two seeds get a bye and then the other playoff teams have to play and that's a little bit more equitable. But it's a money grab. I mean, I don't think anyone's pretending it's anything other than that. They only played a 60-game season. They have to put money in their pockets and they can do that with playoff TV revenue. Well, I would. the only thing I would change is I would say division winners obviously get you know get the preferential seating and then i think you just go by you just go by record and winning percentage but well i i agree with that i also think and no sports actually do this because no one wants the onus on them i think you should pick your opponents i think the rays as the number one seed should have the first draft pick and they can pick whoever they want to play and then the A's as the number two seed should get the next pick yeah that's interesting i mean i think that you know of all the years to do it this would be the year to try that Right. I mean, I guess it puts a bullet on your back and they're like, they wanted to play us, right, but right. It, you get to pick. I mean, I, I, I want to play that team. That's who we match up best with. That's who we're most comfortable with, whatever it is. Let's wrap things up here with kind of just a quick baseball whirl around this weird season. 
I think you watched it some. I watched it some. I mean, we've talked about it. It's a regionalized sport. I watched the A's and not a whole lot else. I'll watch some other playoff games. What is the lasting legacy? I certainly believe the DH is here to stay in the National League. But but yeah. what about everything else? Well, I think some of the other rules have been everybody kind of roundly criticized the second base rule in extra innings, and I think that has gained a little bit more traction. Um, yep. I I like it. I liked it just in the games that I did, um, and I know there were some outliers because I know I think Rochester played a bunch of games that actually did go to like fifteen innings, but of all the games I did in in with the Knights where you put a man on second. You know, the last guy who made the out in the previous inning went to second base. Um, I don't know that we played – I think we played one game that went 15 innings, but most of them were done by the 11th inning. Um, yep. I just felt like it had had a little more um, – it added a little bit more urgency, sense of urgency to overtime or to extra innings. I So I actually kind of – I started out not liking it, thinking it was dumb. Um, and it was interesting because the first year, the first couple months, and you remember this, the first month or two, everybody was playing traditional baseball, right? It was whether you were home or away, most teams were doing the bunt the guy over. Right. And, then team, and then the visiting team realized, wait a minute, we should try and play for as many runs as we can get and yep. then put the pressure on the home team. And that made it more enjoyable. Yep. No, I, I more enjoyable and intelligent because teams were maybe moving a runner over, maybe getting a run, and you, you go up 2-1 and you watch yourself lose the game 3-2. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like that rule change. I like a lot of the rule changes. I like the left the, the lefty specialist has to face yeah, three, three guys. batters. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a good rule. My, my only real objection has been the number of playoff teams and my gut is that that's probably here to stay, too. As much as I hated when Bud Selig made the one-game wild card and as horrible as the A's have been in it, if you're looking for great TV product and yeah. you're looking for drama, yeah. it really yeah. was that. So it'll be interesting to see if they stick with the three-game format or the one-game format going forward. Well, I, I think... You never. I don't think you ever give up inventory, right? So I right, think if exactly. they if they go back to you know if I mean you know when they go back to 162 games, I think that's here to stay. Now, what I don't want to see right now, maybe maybe in five or ten years it makes more sense. Um, you know, this may be something that gets. Um, and I don't. I haven't really followed the TV. I mean, I know that TBS has signed a big deal, and I don't know if this is it, what kind of language is in it. Um, I I still think that initial series should be a, a best out of three. Um, but I could see that eventually maybe it goes to best out of five, um, again, to add revenue. But I I think right now it, it'll probably, I don't think they'll go back to the one game. I think it stays. Yeah, I, I probably agree with you. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I th but, but I think we could have a major change in two years because next year, is going to be some combination of what we saw this year and what we saw in the past. And I would be absolutely shocked if we didn't have a work stoppage in 2022. I mean, the way that they fought and how bitter it was just to play 60 games this year. I, I think the sport is going to get completely upended in two years. I think the players are going to sit out for a long period of time. I think they want a greater percentage of the revenue. I think the owners are going to say, 
we can do that, but we have to have a salary cap and they're going to piss and moan. And I think it's going to be a, a knockout drag out. It wouldn't surprise me at all. If two years from now, we have a season very, very similar to this one when they go, well, we'll just start in August and we'll play 60 games. And we have the model for how to do that again, because it, it just, you know, the NBA, everyone has come together. The NHL conducted the playoffs in a bubble. Oh, by the way, during the pandemic, they restructured the collective of bargaining agreement and baseball blew what could have been a hundred game season made it into 60 made all these changes and everyone still hates each other so i i don't you know whatever happens this year is one thing and next year but i think the third year that's where we get the major kind of sculpting of how this is going to look in the long term well i'm hopeful that going back to a normal schedule will retain that sense of urgency to get a deal done. I don't think the players or the owners, um, I don't think there's a, a, a taste for work stoppage. Now, I understand the reasons you enumerated, and they're exactly understandable. There's a lot of acrimony. So that's always a, that's always an option, right? I mean, the, the nuclear option is always an option. We, we saw it in 94. Um, so there's always, there is that looming threat of that. But I think there are enough owners and there are enough people in the game that remember how ugly that was and how many fans did they lose, right? There are a lot of people, even to this day that tell me like, you know what? I love baseball. And then, you know, 94 just killed it for me. None of the players remember that. That No, I know that. I I, I understand that. I understand the players don't. Um, And the, and the players have gotten a little bit more, um, you know, in this past round of with COVID uh, there was a lot of player expression, a lot of uh, player uh, leadership, if you will, um, for that. And, and, you know, I have a hard time, accepting that uh, you should accept that in this day and age. Um, the game is slanted towards the stars that make a ton of money. And so, and those tend to be the guys that are the more vociferous ones. Um, and having said all that, but I think going back to the normal calendar, uh, and I think there is, you know, I, I think they're at the end of the day, they have to be cognizant of uh, the fact that they will lose a lot of fans very fast if, if they, if they, if they do it. Um, if they go out, if they for some reason, if there's a work stoppage, and and I think there was some backlash. I just think they have such big problems. They I mean, do. They, 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 they the, do. The the fact that a guy can have a great first four years, five years of his career, and then not get a huge contract because he's too old, because teams have the rights to players for too long. It, it's the, the system is is broken, and and maybe you're right. Cross your fingers that they're able to come to an agreement where everyone gets a little bit. I just think it's going to be a knockout, drag them fight. Well, and then the other thing to keep in mind too, and this is unrelated, um, but you know we're going to see a complete. Looks like we're going to see a complete reorganization of of the minor leagues. Um, and I don't yep. know, you know, what's interesting is, you know, the, so, and I think most people understand this, that listen to our, the bearded car cast. Um, but you know, the, the mind, until you have your contract purchased by a major league club, the first time you are basically not involved in the union, you, you've, you have no rights, you have no, you know, they're not, they're not bargaining for you. So I don't know that. That eliminating teams, or, you know, the union probably doesn't care about that, so that's not going to be. But what is interesting is, you know, the talk of maybe moving the draft to, you know, maybe five rounds or ten rounds. Um, so I, you know, that's so kind of the reorging of the draft and minor league baseball is something I think that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on as well. 
Yep. I mean, that that's for the future. The immediate is watching the playoff games, which is always fun. And uh, send us send us a comment. BeardedCarcast at Outlook.com. How do you feel about these these various things? We're curious to get your opinion. Mike, it's been fun. It always is, Dave. Uh, life in the bubble for us continues. Although it's not really strictly bubble because we still kind of go out into the world. But th- th- when we're doing the Bearded Carcast, we are... We are, we are separated by more than six feet. It's more like 10 miles. Yes, we are very socially distanced. <laughs> we are 15, 20 miles away. Well, not 15. I think as the crow flies, it's probably like eight miles. And I think road-wise, it's like 11 miles to 10 miles. Okay. Well, but Fair th- enough. Th- I mean, I, I, th- there's a Hawthorne pizza near your house, and I drive by at least one <laughs> other to get there. <laughs> That's a two Hawthorns trip. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. All right. This is the Bearded Carcast. Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman, thank you for listening. And make sure not only we want you to listen and keep following us on iTunes and, of course, on Stitcher and SoundCloud, but make sure you subscribe and tell us what you think. We got really want to have your feedback. 